I had prepared this afternoon an apology to Craig Schuster. <laughs> because this morning in my message, I made reference to the fact that individuals from our community that visited with us might not understand how things run around here, especially if Craig was leading the singing because it was stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. I wanted to apologize because I thought that might be unfair. <laughs> I was wrong about that and so I will not present that particular apology. In 1968, I was living on the western slope of Colorado and they were filming a motion picture called True Grit. The cast, which contained uh, John Wayne, Glenn Campbell, a new actress by the name of Kim Darby, they were all living or staying in the small town of Montrose, Colorado, where my grandmother lived. And so one night, we were there at my grandma's house, and my dad said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to drive downtown. The city strip was only about four blocks long. Say, see if we see any of the cast or crew milling around. So we began to walk the street, and sure enough, in the only cafe on Main Street, in the back of the restaurant, sitting with his entourage, was this fellow, John Wayne. And he was everything in person that he is on the screen. He was uh, a very real presence within that. And so my father, not being shy at all, he walked me at the age of uh, eight years old back into the back of that restaurant. He walked up to John Wayne. He reached into his hip pocket. He pulled out a pocket New Testament and he stuck it into the face of John Wayne who was eating there at the table. And he said, Mr. Wayne, my name is Emmett Roberts. I preach for the Church of Christ in Grand Junction just up the road. And we just wanted to tell you that we were big fans of yours. We appreciated your work, and I wanted you to have this gift. And John Wayne reached those meaty paws with those sausage fingers, at least as I remember it, up and took that Bible, and he pushed himself away from the table. And he said, you know, I've been given a lot of different prizes, a lots of different awards, and a lots of different gifts, but this may very well be the kindest gift that I ever received. And he said, would you sit down and join us for dinner? And my father said, no. He said, no, you're working. We just want to tell you we're big fans. And John Wayne looked at me, and by the way, he was sitting, I was standing, and we were eye to eye. He said, can the boy at least have a French fry? <laughs> and he handed me a French fry from his plate. Had I known about eBay back then, I would be selling that fry today. But you know, in my ignorance, you know what I did with that? I just ate it. We went on about our way and we watched the motion picture that came out of June the following year, 1969. And, and uh, it wasn't until some years later that my father received a phone call right after uh, John Wayne's passing. And the lady on the other end of the line said, are you Emmett Roberts who used to preach for the Church of Christ in Grand Junction, Colorado? And he said, yes, I am. And, and she said, well, I am one of the executors of John Wayne's estate, and I have run across your business card in the front of his personal Bible. And I'm a member of the Lord's Church, and I wondered what you could tell me about his faith walk. 
And my father shared the story. He said, I just happened to have in my glove compartment a brand new New Testament, and I gave it to him, but we had no further conversation about it. I still didn't know about eBay, or I would have said, get the Bible, okay? That's how I, work, how I was. That was the end of it. But for me, it's a great story. I tell the story a lot. In fact, I tell the story so much that David Duncan rolls his eyes every time I tell the story and then follows up by trying to trump me with someone famous that he has met. I don't have any idea who Mike Avery is, but he seems to be somebody <laughs> of significance. But I like to tell the story. I like to tell the story because I think it's inspirational. I think it has a little bit of a message about not being ashamed of the gospel. Certainly, I'm proud of my father. But you know what the thing that I like about that story the most is it makes me connected to John Wayne. I get to drop that name every time I tell the story and everybody goes, John Wayne. I mean, unless you're now under 20 and they go, who? You know, I've got to come up with something new maybe about Mike Avery. But I tell that story, and I maybe you know of a story in your life in which you tell it because it allows you to be or to make connection with someone of some importance. Maybe a celebrity, an actor, a musician. Maybe it is a sports figure. Maybe it is someone of political prominence. But we like to tell those stories because what? They make us feel important. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit about name droppers. You know, name dropping is that practice of seeking to put maybe a greater connection between you and someone of renown by mentioning their name. And there's a number of reasons why we do it. Sometimes it's because it's an interesting story and everybody will listen to it. Sometimes it is that you can tell people about someone you have met or you've had an encounter with and they think a little bit more of you, right? In other words, it kind of impresses people. Really? Tell me more, right? All those kinds of things. Sometimes it is because we don't feel that we're adequate enough and we can connect ourselves to someone. We feel like we're part of their extended entourage and that wherever they goest, we goest, even if that may not be the case. Sometimes it is that we name drop because something that we want to give uh, authority to or emphasis, we might do it in the form of a quotation or we might say, I heard this particular individual say it and it has some significance because of the significance of that individual. And before David Duncan rolls his eyes at me again, I want him to consider carefully the life of the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul is a name dropper. Now he talks about people that he's met. He talks about people that he knows. He talks about people that he has spent time with. He talks about people that he has yet to spend time with. He talks about people that he has worked with and left in the past. He talks sometimes about those who aren't very in high regard but are notable in their particular church. But there is a name without fail that Paul drops over and over and over again. And that name is Jesus Christ. Paul can't seem to get three lines written 
without becoming totally distracted by the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I suppose that we might take it that Paul felt somewhat inadequate, once being a persecutor, now being uh, uh, and one who was persecuted, and thought, you know, I need a little, uh, dare I say, street cred, right? So I'm going to mention my association with Jesus Christ. He told the Galatians, he says, listen, he said, what I'm preaching, I didn't get from anybody. In fact, it didn't come from man at all. I got it straight from who? Name drop, Jesus Christ, right? Paul goes around. He begins to preach. Preaching, in fact, poor Paul, he only could come up with one sermon. I don't know what he would ever do at a gospel meeting. Because Paul says, I got one message. And you know what it is? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul writes in there and he's trying to talk about a difficult circumstance in Philippi or in Ephesus or Corinth and he starts writing and then he goes, while I'm on the subject, can I drop a name for a minute? Jesus Christ. Now I suppose that it carries with it some influence. I, I know that it carries with it some authority, but I believe that Paul drops that name for the same reason that we should be dropping that name. And the fact is that there is no other name that is quite like it. In fact, Paul to the church in Ephesus writes, For above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. Ephesians 1 and verse 21. I want to identify a couple of reasons why I think from the writings of Paul, specifically as he wrote to the church in Corinth, that that's a name that's worth dropping. First of all, I think it's worth dropping because in that name, Jesus is our confidence. You know, in a world in which we don't uh, have very much luck, we don't have very much luck in trying to be very confident because there is always the constant concern about something and there is nothing that is more concerning than what? where we stand spiritually. I mean, ask the quote-unquote average Christian uh, in a regular worship service, raise your hand if you are confident of your salvation. If you are confident that heaven belongs to you, if you are confident in the power of Jesus Christ to remit you of all of your sins and to continue to remit you of those sins, so much so that you can say, yes, I have a place. My experience has been that what hands go up are slow to go up. And those that get totally out are kind of uh, trembling with hesitation as to whether or not that's true. And there's others that are cheaply put there, sheepishly put their hands in their laps saying, I dare not be so bold as to say that I have inherited eternal life. And that is because of the confidence that they are putting not in Jesus Christ, but the confidence that they put in themselves. It's the confidence that say, I am not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not sinless enough. And in all of those, it has to do with what? Me. And so individuals are constantly concerned that they are walking the tightrope of righteousness, spirituality, thinking that somehow the only thing acceptable to God is our perfection. And that's only true in the sense that the only thing he'll accept is our perfection and we can't be perfect, therefore we need something else. 
And that something else is Jesus. To the Corinthians, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, and I believe it's appropriate by interpretation to put our God in Jesus Christ. That's why it's worth naming it. Why is Jesus such a big deal? I see some folks sometimes that wear t-shirts, and, and I'm, not really, I'm not really dissing on them, but they'll say, I love the Church of Christ. I'm going to get me a shirt that says, I love the Christ of the church. Because that's the name that's worth dropping. And though I love the Memorial Church, and I think she does some great things, and I am proud to drop that name, especially in front of my son who is at a memorial up in Oklahoma City to tell him about the memorial here in Houston. But you know what? It doesn't mean much else. And so it is that we have Peter as he was preaching in Acts chapter 4 who says, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven amongst men by which we must be saved. The confidence of, our, of his forgiveness the confidence of his continued power, the confidence in his victory over not only sin but death is all there because of Jesus Christ. In fact, so great is our confidence in him that we have confidence in the unseen. That confident expectation, which we often refer to as hope, in a life that lies beyond this life, not because of us, but because of him. The name of Jesus is the name of confidence. But not only that, the name of Jesus is the name of comfort. It is that which in difficult times when we are suffering, when we have experienced loss, when there is uncertainty and it seems as if it is printed on the page of every newspaper, that it is in every television or radio or online broadcast of the uncertainty of the world that is around us. In fact, we live with trepidation and fear because we don't know tomorrow, and yet we know the one who does. It is Jesus that gives us comfort. When we lay our heads down at night, it is not with arrogance, it is not with personal pride that we say, I have no worry about the future. That's simply a statement of ignorance. What it is, though, is one who lays their head down at night and says, I have no worry about, the, about tomorrow because I know the one who's already there. And so the comfort that is ours in Jesus Christ is more than just the Christian's rationalization of a world that has been filled with wickedness and brokenness. It's not just some kind of a pill we pull out of the cabinet and go, well, when all else fails, take two tablets and wait for tomorrow. It is the comfort that comes in knowing the one who has the capability. So the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which is ourselves are comforted by God. Do you hear a key word in there at all? 
We should become far more comfortable with the comfortable that is ours in Jesus Christ. And that's why he matters so much. In a world in which people find difficulty around every, every corner, we no longer worry around what's around every corner, and we find comfort in Jesus Christ. Number three, I believe that it is significant and important, the name of Jesus, because it gives us courage. A long time ago, somebody told me, well, courage is nothing more than ignorance. The more ignorant you are, the more brave you are. And I said, well, in that case, that makes me about the bravest guy you know. But not because of my ignorance, but because of that which I have in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but aren't you worried about this country and its political attacks? Or aren't you worried about our own government and its religious attacks? Aren't you worried about the men and women who live in our neighborhood who see us as the adversary even though we are followers of Jesus Christ? Aren't you worried about the persecution that is impending? And you know what my answer is? Not a lick. You know why? Because my courage is not in them and what they do. And my courage is not in me and what I do. My courage is in him and what he has already done and promised to continue to do. And so I have great courage. I don't sit there spiritually with my spiritual knees knocking I don't worry about when I'm threatened. I don't worry about when I go, I just don't know that I have the strength to go on. I don't need the strength to go on. I need the one who has the strength who can carry me on. Paul says, uh, as he was discussing the difficulties that he and the others were facing in different regions as they proclaimed the gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I've had some discussion with some preacher friends. It seems to me that Paul says, it seemed as if the only end of this matter was going to be our death. We are on a death row for the sake of Jesus Christ. But I also see, as I hear the echoes of the prophets that came before, this message. It was so bad, we just wished we would die. It would be better to be dead. I mean, this very same Paul says, listen, it's a whole lot better for me to go on, be released from this life, and to be with Jesus. But for your sake, I remain on. But I hear, and I only hear it from a personal perspective, a, a human perspective, as I imagine what they were going through, that Paul says, there may even been a moment in which I thought, maybe I just need to take my life and put it all away. And if not, Paul, there certainly are Christians who are facing struggles and difficulties, and they say, I just wished I was dead. Lord, come quickly and get me out of this, which is what Lord, come quickly usually means, to disregard of those that are still lost in their sin. Get me out of here, and if they burn, they burn, but get me out of my mess. I just want to die. Or maybe even some have said, I think maybe it's best if I advance the process and take my own life. Well, not those who truly know Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ is their courage. 
Fourthly, the name of Jesus gives us connection. One of the reasons that people have a tendency to drop names is because they need us. They have a need for a sense of community. Maybe you've had somebody come up to you and they said, where are you from? You said, well, I'm from Texas. And they go, oh, I got an aunt from Texas. Maybe you know her, right? Why do we do that? Well, because we want to be connected. I will tell you an interesting story. A few years ago, Tammy and I moved to California. We got uh, came to uh, Jersey Village Church of Christ to do a marriage seminar. An elderly man came up to me and he said, where are you from? And I said, well, we're from California. He goes, I only knew one person ever from California. I saw him last when we got off of the boat after being in the war together. And he said, maybe you know him. And I said, well, there's it's a big state there. And he said, his name is Ray Lawson. I said, well, I talked to Ray Lawson last week. It just so happened that that one individual that he, so it's not that it is not without possibility, but not probability, right? But we want those that we can connect with. We want to be connected with not only the famous people, but we want to be connected with the people who are connected to the famous people. We want to be part of that party. We want to be part of that partnership. We want to be able to say, hey, did you ever meet John Wayne? I did meet John. Did you know this? I didn't know that. And we go back and forth. I mean, people have con conventions and conferences all over the country so they can connect with celebrities who are there for an hour to sign autographs. And we're all together now, right? Well, for the Apostle Paul, he recognized that the grand and great connection that we have is more than superficial. It's not just that Jesus came and signed a few autographs and we happen to get one of them. Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim amongst you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but listen, but in him it is always yes, for all of the promises of God find their yes in him, and that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee of what? A guarantee that we're in a relationship with him. Even if he is absent currently in body, he is ever present. That we're in a community with those others who are in community with him. In other words, those who belong to Jesus Christ are never without. They're never lost. They always have a sense of belonging. And if there is any message that our world is looking for is... Where can I belong? I don't seem to fit in anywhere. And the name of Jesus reminds me that we have connection. One more part of the John Wayne story. After John, my dad told John Wayne that we would not be able to eat with him, my dad did say, would it be possible for my son to get your autograph? And talk about iconic. John Wayne, I still remember, he lifted up his hand. He had an all-silver bracelet on that he wore. You'll see it in many of his motion pictures. He was wearing a camel-colored uh, tan uh, vest, and he reached into the vest pocket, and he pulled out a card. 
On the one side, in block letters, but very clearly, it just said, John Wayne. No address, no phone number, no actor by trade. As if to say, you know who I'm talking about. On the other side, it was already inscribed, and later I found out it wasn't handwritten. It was printed, but because of the fact that he signed so many. And you know what? He gave me that card. You know what I did with that card? I took it home. I prized that card. In fact, for a while, I carried that card in my wallet. Why? Because I knew the actor, I remembered the experience, and I prized the name John Wayne. I could show that card and say, here's the proof of my connection, even though he probably had had thousands of those cards printed and distributed. Now, I love my name. It's Wayne. <laughs> I love my name, and it's Emmett Wayne because my father was John Emmett. Do you realize how close I came to being John Wayne? <laughs> I told my father, I said, I would, could have been John Wayne, but you picked Emmett. And he said, well, we thought about your two grandfathers, Claude Eburn or Herbert Merle. And I went, Emmett. I like Emmett. But for the longest time, I liked the fact that my name was Wayne because I associated it with that familiar actor. The truth is, I bear another name, and so do you. And it is a name that is far greater than our physical name. It's far greater than the name of any celebrity. Simply put, it is the name Jesus Christ. And we need to drop that name all the time. We need to tell people about that which is ours because of him. We need to treat it as if it is the most exceptional name there is, and the reason why is because it is the most exceptional name there is. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, following speaking about the fact that Jesus emptied himself to take on the form and the very nature of man that he might be offered for us, he writes this once his work was complete, therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every a tongue should confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. A couple of weeks ago, it was after I'd already determined this topic, I heard the words to a song, and it's kind of the final thought that I want to share with you tonight. One of the phrases, or a refrain, a phrase and refrain, says, speaking of the name of Jesus, we pray it over family. When we rise and when we sleep, we speak it over sorrow, and the soul is given peace. We sing it in the famine or in prosperity. May we never forget that he is all we need. There is something about the name of Jesus. It sounds like forgiveness. It sounds like amazing grace. It beckoned my soul to sing forever. There is something about that name. My prayer for you tonight is that you will leave with the name of Jesus and all that it bestows. That you will share it with those who you come in contact with. 
that you will drop the name of Jesus into every conversation and in every opportunity that all might know the name of the one whose name is above all other names. But if tonight you haven't had that encounter yet with him, in other words, you don't wear his name, you haven't met him, Oh, you might know some facts about him, but you don't have that intimate knowledge of him because you haven't surrendered yourself to him. Or maybe you're one who has, but somewhere along the way, you pursued the names of so many other things that you thought were more important. Tonight's a great night for a decision, a decision to wear the name of Jesus, a decision to return to naming the name of Jesus. It may very well be that tonight is also an opportunity for you to request the prayers of this body of believers. If you are online and you need our prayers, we want to invite you simply to email at elders at mcoc.org and they'll answer those prayers. You can mark those as public or private, but maybe it is that you're here tonight and say, I don't want to wait for the email. I need the prayers of this body. I want to be named Jesus's. And we'll help you in any way we can. If a public response is appropriate, why don't you come forward as we stand together and sing.